welcome to the Zenial Dome with me, Essel Sears. And me, Gareth Gwynn. This is the podcast uh, all about those who were born between 1977 and 1985, or to put it another way, those born during the rise and fall of the donkey jacket. That is my favourite one yet. <laughs> Did we, the, the odd thing is, about I was thinking about it, the rise and fall of the donkey jacket as a reference point. Is it references a an incident where Michael Foote wore a donkey jacket <laughs> to the cenotaph and it was deemed inappropriate. <laughs> but that happened when I was literally like the year I was born. Why do I know what a politician wore in the year I was born? Imagine <laughs> imagine making that much of a sartorial mistake. I mean, but at the time you have to remember there was no social media. So stuff like that stuck. Like if if something quite visually newsworthy happened, it would stick. And obviously, they had it in for him quite notorious. Oh yeah, there was time. that as well. But so so it was. I think they did stick with it for a bit longer than perhaps they uh, they would have <laughs> done otherwise. But um, yeah, I think I think we should bring it back. Let's get Keir Starmer in a donkey jacket. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know though how many people listening to this now are having to Google. The donkey jacket. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll well tell you what. While everyone's googling what Michael Foote, the former Labour Party leader, looked like in a donkey jacket, and why everyone got so upset about it, uh, we can introduce this week's show. Yes. So this week we have got the very funny Izzy Sutty. Izzy is a brilliant stand-up. She's got a podcast, The Things We Do for Love. You might have heard her Radio Four series, Pearl and Dave, which won a Sony Radio Award. I think it was a Sony. It won an award, and it was either the Sony Radio Award or one of the ones on the year Sony didn't sponsor it. But nevertheless, it's, <laughs> it was a big deal, and it's really great. She's also been in some really iconic TV shows, um, including Peep Show. And also Man Down, which is one of my absolute favourites. Also, um, and this is relevant for the episode that is coming up, she's written two books. One is called The Actual One, which is all about uh, her in her late 20s, early 30s, at a point where all her friends were sort of settling down and she wasn't sure if she wanted to. And she's written a novel called Jane is Trying, both of which are mentioned uh, in the podcast coming up. But it's a really... Fun chat. Izzy's great. Uh, so this is 1978 and Jane is trying's Izzy Sutty. I think I would have remembered if I'd seen it written down because words beginning with X are quite unusual. So I might have heard it, but I hadn't really come across it and I hadn't seen it written down and I didn't know what it meant at all. But I was excited to be one because it's always good to know that you're, <laughs> you're something. Is it because that you don't feel that you actually fit into any of the two like major um, generations that kind you're, you're kind of straddling? So you've got the millennials, obviously, that you're not technically labelled as, but then it, it you know you're, you're still part of that world. Whereas with Gen X, may, you know you were, you're a young Gen Xer. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe it is that. Like, I definitely feel like with the internet that I'm in between, like, we didn't grow up with it, did we? And we didn't grow up with phones, thank God. Like, I think my teenage years would have been so much worse if mobile phones had existed. I I was even thinking of going to the library and doing, like, a course in how to use computers. Like, genuinely, I've got an app. And I guess if I'd been born in 2001, I would be like that. But... 
I think having if, if, if I had been born in 2001 I would have grown up with technology and I just feel like maybe that's the area that I feel that I'm a bit lost in like mm. I think if you're a bit older somehow if you're 50 and you don't know that you can have more than one computer tab open at the same time which was something <laughs> I didn't know until quite embarrassingly late um you you can go on oh, 50 you know uh, it, whereas somehow when you're 42 you sort of go well you really should should know this this kind of thing one of the one of the things that is um that defines this generation is that we were the age where the internet sort of grew up with us as it yeah, were yeah. and we had to sort of and i think mm. there are certainly when i think about my friends and my class in school it was almost like there were some families who went were buying into this this is the future <laughs> yes. you know like in a really big way and there were others where they were like this is a fad this will come and go yeah and you can't blame them can you because there were things that really passed quickly and like mini discs seemed to only last like two months yeah. um, it's probably more in real life but I remember my like my friend Nick when I was at college being like so into mini discs and having all these and then now they're completely obsolete so yeah it seemed like a bit of a risk at, at one point didn't yeah. it to buy into mm. it's like What's that mad guy next door doing buying into the this thing, the internet? Spending all his time talking to people in America. That seemed to be the, what the internet was for. So were you part of a... Was your family growing up, were they ones to embrace technology? In the, of, did, you, did you get everything the 80s and 90s had to offer or... Um, not. No, not really. Um, I think we were probably a bit more the other way. We, we had an Atari computer... Um, which came with like six games, like Pele soccer and pinball, and the other two that I can remember. And I remember that that being a big deal because this guy from primary school called Bobby used to come every day and play the Atari after school. So he can't have had one at home unless he just wanted to be in our house <laughs> to eat my mum's. Uh, my mum was obsessed with wheat germ. She used to put it in everything, and he used to even eat her wheat germ biscuits. So I don't think it was about about that. I think it was about the Atari. <laughs> But we didn't have like, I remember like other people having like a soda stream and having, and that was probably to do with my mum's kind of healthy eating obsession right. that we didn't have a soda stream. But we were, definitely weren't one of those families that there was some that you went in, didn't you? And they had like speakers and they had like a brand new sound system and we didn't at all. Like we had an old record player and we had like a ghetto blaster in the kitchen, I think, and an old, quite an old telly. And then I had a telly in my room that my friend had given me that was bright orange, black and white, and you had to wind it up. No, 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 you didn't have to wind it up. That that would be insane. But the, the channels were a dial, which you had to wind along, like a radio. Oh. So it plugged in, but um, you had to tune it into the, the channels. Um, wow. And obviously that was old even then. I don't think she got it from her grandma. See, but you're, you're saying that like that's kind of at the back end, at the tail end of of like the the high tech stuff. But actually, for me, for someone to have a TV in their room, oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> really? You are so cool. <laughs> well, I wasn't allowed one. This is so. If I wasn't allowed something, I just used to think of, I wouldn't accept it. I really hope I haven't passed this on to my kids. But um, <laughs> if I could think of a way around, so mum and dad said, you absolutely can't have a TV in your room. We hardly ever were allowed to watch it downstairs. So I was like, okay, if they won't get me one, I will acquire one. And I think I hid it from them for ages behind like um, clothes and, and books and stuff. And then 
by the time they found it, it had been there for about six months, and then it stopped working. I think we dropped maybe dropped something to the back of it, and it interfered with the tuning. And then yeah, so it wasn't for very long. But whenever I went to other people's houses and they had a telly, I just couldn't in their rooms. I just could not believe it, and I mm. yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't accept no for an answer. So I got the orange telly. <laughs> I love the idea that you had a telly and didn't tell your parents and thought mm. you could. It's like planning permission. If you build it and no one complains it for three years, you're allowed to keep yes. the structure. Yes, exactly. No one complained for six months. Then the, um, but I used to just, I was really like, I wanted to redecorate my room and they they said no because it was just a nice cream colour. So I was like, well, I'm going to. So I just waited. I don't know how I got the paint. I had a lot of mates who's like mums and dads had just sort of, well, quite bohemian, I think it would just give me things. But I basically painted a line around halfway up the wall, a horizontal line encompassing everything in its path, including shelves and the door and everything. So it looked like you'd had water damage. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but then I repainted so everything below the line, everything, mainly the wall and all the things which came in its path, below the line. I think it was bright purple and everything above it was bright orange because I wanted to be able to look at the walls and for that for it just to be this this continuous colour all the way around and then look a bit higher and it just be orange and and by the time I'd done like half of it and they found out they were like oh god all right so they just helped <laughs> me finish it then when they sold the house years later they had to redecorate it because it just looked it looked like someone had basically lost it completely in there and kind of maybe been kept hostage and yeah just and was the orange the same shade as the telly was this a camouflage yes telly? i think i quite like that i was really into like the doors and stuff and like the mm. 70s and do you, do you remember what you used to watch on that tv will have been things like neighbors home and away and heartbreak high and i think i was probably about 12 so it yeah. was big neighbors then I actually, so I, I wrote something recently for um, like a sort of book about um, culture and pubs um, that's, that's um, coming out soon and I had to write a piece about performing stand-up in London pubs and I mentioned Neighbours in it and the person who did the copy edit is a millennial, I guess, so they're like the generation younger than us and they didn't know what Neighbours was so Shut I've got up. to change it to, Yeah. <laughs> I still watch it. I, I still know. watch it. It's still they on. Did, so they were like, well, it's, it feels like an outdated reference now. Um, and I was like, oh, my God. And I thought, well, of course I'll change it. And, you know, it's good that they brought it up. But it made me feel like, oh, man. Like, I thought Neighbours was like a timeless, a bit like crumpets or something. It just <laughs> always be there and always has been there in a strange way. Like, yeah. you know. Oh, no. That's made me really sad. Oh. Well, they've missed out on so much, haven't they? Yes. And that you can't start now. You have to you have to, you have to do the back catalogue. You would, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got some questions here to find out how much of a zenial you are. Did you see Jurassic Park in the cinema? I think I might have seen it at Butlins, at the cinema in Butlins. Which, given that it's a film about dinosaurs rampaging around a park, might have given it an extra frisson <laughs> of excitement, like exactly. Secret Cinema or something. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. My own version of <laughs> I think the one that I saw in Butlins was Hunt for the Red October, which seems really <laughs> unsuitable for like a, a ten-year-old. Yeah, odd film for kids. And seems really incongruous with Butlins. But anyway, um, Jurassic Park. 
I must have seen it at the cinema. I remember that we had a cinema in Matlock that isn't there anymore and it had a major and a minor screen and they used to pause the film halfway through and bring out ice creams, um, which I imagine probably happened in quite a few provincial cinemas. In Brecon, I was the person who sold the ice creams. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So in one of the summers... In one of the summers between university, I got a job in the cinema and I went in and they asked what I was doing and I said a maths degree and they pretty much, the interview almost ended there and they went, you've got the job <laughs> because there was no till. <laughs> so you had to do everything in your head. So when I said I was doing a maths degree, they went, brilliant, fine, you're in. Not realising that in a maths degree, very little of it is adding up eight and twelve in your head. <laughs> so I re- yeah, I really miss stuff like that. The um the Commodore Cin- Cinema in Aberystwyth, as far as I'm aware, is exactly the same as it ever was. There was a little booth to the left of the screen, so you could see the booth. And what they would often do is play the adverts and the tra- trailers, and then stop it. And open the booth <laughs> before the oh, film came on. Yeah. You know, and it's just so lovely. And I do remember an interval, especially with long films. I think Titanic, they had an interval where it was just like, right, guys, there's a lot going on here. Just have an ice cream for a minute. Just just to process <laughs> everything that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, the idea that they'd have to decide when to pause it. So it's like it's having an argument about which point, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Do we wait for the iceberg? Do we do it before the iceberg? Or should we wait yeah. until after? It's just, yeah, it's madness. My, it's really funny though because my um, I've I've often talked about seeing Jurassic Park for the first time in my comedy set because when I went to see it, I saw it with my grandmother, and she brought with her a box of Welsh cakes and a flask of soup. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Isn't that just the most wonderful thing ever? And she was scared shitless by the. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Even... <laughs> oh, it is scary as well. Like, yeah. Did you have a Hotmail email address? Yes, I did. I did. Um, and that was around the time that I didn't know you could have more than one tab open <laughs> on the computer. And then that was such a revelation when my, my housemate said to me, you know, you can just click along the top. And I was like, oh, like I'd close the tab and then open Internet Explorer again in order to whatever website what websites were around that I can't even remember I only remember hotmail I don't think I ever kind of surfed the net or anything but yeah I had a hotmail address and I remember when I was in the third year at college which was the year which was 99 to 2000 there was this guy from Kent um in the year below who was like this whiz kid with technology and he came around quite a lot and weirdly he knew someone from Squeeze but um he uh he set me up with the Hotmail account and I just couldn't believe that he, because I had a computer that I used to do my dissertation on and stuff like that, but never ever seen or heard of the internet. And Sam was the one who, who kind of showed me the internet and set me up with a Hotmail account. And I actually remember that when I printed out my dissertation, we must have had a print. No, I seem to remember I had to take it to a shop. For them to print it but I don't know how that would have worked because I don't think I could get online but anyway there was a problem it missed off like the last paragraph um and I had to hand write it in because I was like running out of time I suppose like that could happen now couldn't it but I imagine now that when students submit their dissertation they may 
also maybe they email it why would you print it out and hand it over to your tutor you probably they do it all online so I I do some occasional lecturing work and it's all online being a Zenial and remembering just printing things, I I like to read things and like proofreading scripts and stuff. I like to do it on hard copies. So yeah. I like to print stuff off and have a pen and actually write I in do. it. I do. I think it makes a difference, doesn't it, yeah. to the way you, you read it. So given your attitude to the email, I'm guessing that you didn't used to ask Jeeves. No, I didn't. I absolutely didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, I sort of remember that fondly. I suppose it was like... The, the early version of Siri, well, it feels like it was less annoying than Siri. Oh, I don't know why. Um, I think it was a time where they thought search engines, people would be more polite to them. So I think instead of Google, where you just go, bin day, <laughs> and then hit return, yeah. I think it was a time when I think they thought people were going to ask polite questions into the internet. They really misjudged that. Yes. Mm. I was thinking about the early days of Big Brother, um, which must have... I think the first year that Big Brother was on was maybe 2001, because I can remember when, where I was living, mm. um, and how that was much more of a scientific experiment and no one knew what was going to happen. They didn't know they'd become famous afterwards. And it was like so sweet and um, and kind of how it should have been, really. And I think it should have only ever been one series, but of course that was never going to be the case. And I sort of think the same with the internet in general and specific things like Ask Jeeves. It's like... Ask Jeeves is so sweet. Like they think people are going to just say, "How does broccoli grow?" Um, <laughs> and then everything just becomes more twisted, doesn't it? And um, an extreme as, <laughs> as time goes on. As soon as someone worked out that you could write boobs into the internet, that was it. As soon, Game as, over. As, soon as someone worked out you could write boobs into a calculator, we were on a slippery slope. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Your new novel, Jane is Trying. The question we had was, is Jane a zenial in the in the book? Oh, yeah, because she's 38, so and it's set now. So she is, isn't she? Yeah, she is, because that, that would make her my age, yeah. So does she have qualities? Like, is there an element, do you think, of she has these qualities of someone who grew up at that time? Who? Yeah, and actually there's quite a lot about um, her teenage years in it and her going into this building called the arch which is like this derelict um hotel that she used to go in as a teenager and drink and stuff um and it's kind of quite in the way the arch is like the nucleus of of the book i suppose it's representative of lots of things but i think uh, there's a lot of kind of harking back to going in there and not maybe not explicitly said but not having phones and not really having a curfew she's got a job in advertising um, which is very sort of reasonably technology based, I suppose, without me explicitly saying so, but sort of lots of meetings and lots of presentations and, and stuff. And then she moves back in with her parents when she finds out that her fiance has been cheating on her. And there's very much a kind, kind of hearkening back to basics. Her mum takes her phone from her so that she can't see if her ex has tried to contact her and gives her one of the bell ringers old phones um which is like massive and doesn't go online and he wants her to wear this belt to keep it in and she won't wear it and and stuff and she gets really frustrated that she can't access the internet and her parents are quite kind of 
molly coddling stroke controlling so they think they're doing the right thing but actually they're stripping things that bring her comfort and pain in a strange way like the internet brings all of us comfort and pain (laughs) you've touched on something really interesting there though how when it comes to relationships when you were teenagers or in your like early 20s and stuff without phones and, and things like that what we always tend to talk about and focus on is how you had to have a relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend's parents as well to be able to to get through to them. I mean, they, you couldn't speak to them without speaking to their mum or their dad first. But what you've just said there now, and it's something that I hadn't really considered before, is like the breakup part of it. And when a relationship fails and you don't have access to social media or a mobile phone, like you, because you, I, I could Google any number of my exes now and I could find out what they've been doing this week, yeah. which is madness. <laughs> Whereas back in the day, if you broke up with someone, unless you had mutual friends, and then it it really depended on on whose side that friend was as to whether they'd give you information about what was going on in their lives now. Like, that was it. A breakup was an actual breakup. You maybe, you know, you'd meet up with them in, like, 20 years' time and you'd have a quick catch-up of, you know, a really awkward conversation about what's happened in your life and that'd be it. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's you're still privy to their lives. I know, you're so right. It, I, I don't really feel like it's right fundamentally no Um, (laughs) uh, and even actually my best friend from when I was kind of 11 and 12 I was thinking I wonder what her mum's doing now and was able to look up loads of photos of her I haven't seen her you know for 30 years really I was sort of thinking I don't think this is right so that's what I kept thinking Mm. not that there was anything just nice to see her and she looks very happy but I was kind of like hmm it just feels like you're dancing with the devil in some way. But yeah, certainly for Jane, like her boyfriend's cheated on her and she can look up this other woman and the other woman's on Instagram. So like the whole of the journey back, she's just in the back of the car kind of looking up absolutely everything about this woman online and she owns lots of properties and kind of does them up. So Jane sort of immediately hates her and kind of looks at her property website. And, and then there's sort of, I think, a nice moment later in the book where Jane she kind of goes through quite a lot in the book and she moves in with this girl who she used to know at school and didn't really like and now finds out is sort of really a real laugh and they go on Facebook together and laugh at people from school um and I think that's like a really kind of bonding moment between them when they're sat at the computer together looking at people from school going oh my god you know what are they doing now and I actually think those moments are really lovely, um, not necessarily laughing at them, but kind of going in the same way as like looking at the exes. It's like, what is so-and-so doing now? Like, and sometimes mm. it's such a shock. People will have turned into something that you just did not expect. And I find that because I'm not on Facebook, so I'm not at that, that there's a real allure to that and me and my best friend and we will often sit there for hours when we meet and go let's look up people from school because it's such a novelty (laughs) for me yeah yeah Yeah, it's weird because me and my friends from school we went on a weekend away to Manchester um pre-pandemic and we started talking about this boy from school who we all used to fancy um uh, he had like the you know spiky hair, and he always used to wear really cool sports gear and stuff in primary school now. And we started looking for him online, 
and he is still hot <laughs> to the point where we've all downloaded photos of him from the internet and now and again just randomly one of us will send a photo of him round the world brilliant brilliant <laughs> and it's like imagine if he knew yeah, imagine if you talked about it on a podcast <laughs> She's saying he's hot, though, so it's fine. That's the rule. That's the rule. I'm being complimentary. Thank you. (laughs) But, it's yeah, it's mad. Absolutely mad. Also, isn't it funny that, like, if someone told you when you were 15, you're a bit younger than me, but there's, like, there'll be this group of women who are, like, in their late 30s, like, sending photos of me around a WhatsApp group. Like, it's so funny when you're younger and you look at, like, women who are older to you you know and you're like when I'm 35 I'll be doing this and this and this and then you'd never dream that you'll be like oh, sending photos of a, of, a, of a boy around a whatsapp group <laughs> it's brilliant I'm like we're so similar we'll be like we had this quiz me and my two best friends from school decided to do a zoom quiz because I absolutely hate social zoom things and I've actually only done three of them since the pandemic started because I felt uh, after I did the first one I was just like this is horrendous like it's just like everyone's sitting there like at a meeting and being like how are you and then talking one by one I found it really exhausting and horrible so then with my two best friends from school I was like can we do a quiz because it feels like then there's a structure to it and then the only questions we asked each other were things like who was that boy you got off with in year? You know what I mean? It was like nothing about, I thought it might be about Brit pop or something. Or it was like, what was Greg so-and-so wearing when you got off with him at that party? And then we all knew it was orange jeans. Like, even though it happened like 1994 or something. But they, they were big things at the time, though. Yeah. They had such a massive effect on you at the time. You're always going to remember those. Yeah, things. that's true. And orange jeans as well, I feel like even now... Like, I know all that fashion's come back, but it was such a big statement to wear orange jeans in Matlock. Like, he was quite a trendsetter. (laughs) So we've talked about your new book, but your previous book, the actual one, was about being in your late 20s and not wanting to grow up. And I feel like this is in some way relevant to what we've just been (laughs) talking about. But is there... Did you... I'm intrigued by... Did that resonate for a lot of people your age? Did you get people come to you and going like, yes... Yes, that I I was the same. Yes, I think so. I think maybe like perhaps slightly less to do with the time it happened. The time I happened to be in my late twenties, and more to do with that feeling of not really wanting to grow up. So I have had sort of older people say to me, um, "Oh yeah, you know, I I I identified with that," and yet they're kind of sixty. So I found that quite interesting because I thought it was quite of its time because it mm. talks quite a lot about bands and bands and brands actually from so much so that I it came out in America and I had to realize how many mentions there were things like chomps and watsits and like the editor was like what are those and I was like oh god yeah I think and uh, yeah actually with Jane is trying I tried really hard to avoid I think I'd got slightly lazy in terms of using those brands as a kind of shorthand for whereas actually it was better for me to think of a way of describing something rather than saying you know, kind of leaning on a um, an 80s or 90s brand. Um, I think it's definitely a feeling that a lot of people identify with, especially like in the arts, where I think we're lucky enough to kind of be allowed to play for forever, really. And um, you don't notice, do you, when you do a gig with someone who's like 70 and, mm. you know, they're not, not 
settled down they maybe don't own a house they're kind of living in a van they're gigging they and you just don't think about it because we're all there for a a common reason and I think that's kind of a universal across the arts whereas I imagine if you had like a 70 year old accountant who was living in a van and you'd sort of go what what's happening here (laughs) you know why aren't you wearing a suit so it feels like definitely like yeah it was I was able to put off growing up for a, a few years longer than than perhaps I might have done in different circumstances. So was it was it like a conscious decision for you that you didn't want to grow up? So like when your friends were having babies and stuff, um, or were you just not ready? I just wasn't ready, I don't think. Like, And I remember one of my really good friends telling me that they were going to leave London because she was pregnant. And I was just really gutted. And it was actually a bad reaction. I feel really, I feel really bad about it. I didn't like go what how dare you but I was washing up and I just didn't say anything I just carried on washing up with my back to them which is like now I've had two kids like the idea of telling someone I really love and for them just to wash up in silence not say anything is just like inconceivable so I yeah but I just couldn't from a very selfish point of view I just couldn't believe they were leaving London and of course they were like London's really expensive and they've got two children now and live in the countryside and I don't blame them but I was just kind of like I think I I, I like I'd been engaged and then we'd split up when I think I was about 31 so I was living with people from college and kind of almost having like a second I don't know second adolescence in a strange way and it was we were having really a lot of fun and I think I really expected everyone to kind of be the same as me and so I just mm. didn't like it when they weren't and that's yeah, that's not right, but that is the way I felt. I was kind of like, I think also I didn't want to start hanging around with people who were like 27, 28. I wanted to still be with my group of friends. So I think I had this fear that if everyone settled down and had kids or just wanted a quieter life or wanted to live, kind of not go out as much, um, even not necessarily in a couple that people kind of get, get better with their own company like I have I don't I I'd, I would go on holiday on, on my own now I think whereas I wouldn't have done 10 years ago so I sensed that everyone was just kind of just kind of going yeah you know what I don't perhaps want to go to the pub every night and I was really running against it and um mm. I had this big fear I think that I would have to hang around with people younger than me and I think I knew that I would settle down in whatever way that meant whether that was with someone or get a place on my own and but but I just wasn't quite ready I guess very annoyed people (laughs) really inconvenient what this boils down to is you didn't want to mix with people who didn't know what neighbours was (laughs) yes exactly if anyone oh my god if we do a pub quiz me and the 27 year olds and uh, they'd ask about neighbours I mean mean, that would have just been it this, that story just completely resonates with me because something similar happened to me in London. I'd been, I was a serial, um, like, long-term relationship person and I finally wasn't in a long-term relationship and then my best friend, who I was living with at the time, started seeing someone and I remember her texting me when I was on my way to work one morning saying, can we meet for drinks or something after work? Blah, 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 I've got something to tell you. And I knew... 
I knew she's going to move in with him and I knew that that's, that was it. That was the end of our time together. And I sat in work and cried at my desk, just knowing that that's what was going to happen. It was like I was mourning, not just her leaving, but the end of my life <laughs> as I knew it. Like Because I was having fun with her. You know, we were both single. We were both in London. We had good jobs. You know, we had great groups of friends. And it was like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you do this to me? Because if it had been me, then it would be fine. Like if I was the one of who was course, moving on you just to the don't next stage of be, my life. I know. I think there's a bit in the first book actually where I say, no, I say like, no, 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 we've made a deal. We will get married. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get married on the same day. We'll have babies at the same time. We'll have sex on the same night. How would time the ovulation? I don't know. And then have babies on the same day. So like everything's done at the same rate. No one's left behind. No one's, you know. With girls, I think, especially going through school, you do kind of move in a pack a bit and you, you go through everything at the same time. You start your periods roughly within a similar window and, you know, when you start getting interested in boys and you'll wear certain things and you'll copy looks and stuff. And yeah, and but at a, at a point, usually in your late 20s, early 30s, that starts to drift off. But I always get this sense from like growing up in as, as a child and a teenager in the 80s and 90s that there was a real sense of havoc to, to conform. So when you're in school and stuff like that, like even th the idea that there was an individual in amongst you in school was just, you, you couldn't even yeah. fathom it. Whereas, whereas now you look at kind of Gen Z especially, and I'm quite envious of them, that individuality is so revered. And, you know, you've got so many amazing um, role models as well who are complete individuals and, you know, they, they don't conform. Did you ever have that at any point in your young life? Well, uh, well I think two things really. I went to a really um, art, artsy school where um, there were lots of productions and lots of people were in bands and um, the lead singer from Gomez was like two years above me and I always remember him like singing in assembly and it was all being like, oh my God, his voice. And there was a real um celebration of creativity and I suppose individuality as much as there could okay. be at that time there was an openly gay guy in the year below me which I think at that period in time in a small town was still quite unusual unfortunately yes um yeah. but he felt able to come out I don't know how it was received and if he had any hassle at school but he certainly felt able for it to be known and I remember thinking at the time like this is this it feels like I'm lucky to be um at, at this kind of school so there's that and then also I think I've always railed against it's not like I'm I don't consider myself in any way to be like revolutionary um but <laughs> yeah, the way you said it then suggests maybe you, you maybe, do maybe I do. you do think a little no, but bit I guess <laughs> what I mean is like I serve no one except myself um, what I mean is I'm not like someone who goes like I'm going to help other people by setting up this thing and you know when I was growing up I wasn't like guys I'm going to start my own charity it's more like I was like I just saw things and thought I I want that how do I get how hard do I have to work to get it I don't mean um, material things I mean I just wanted to be make my money make my living from writing and performing and I was like how hard do I have to work to do that? Where do I have to go? What do I have to do? Um, and similarly, I sort of always wanted to 
fight to get out of I didn't like being in a small town I thought I actually think that I did like it I think it's quite complicated I think I didn't know that I liked it but I thought I want to get to London that was all I was focused on was getting out making it I suppose I like I jumped off a bridge for a bet when I was 13 and it was just because someone had said my brother jumped off that and I was like I'm gonna jump off it and I broke my ankle and then it was just like I just was I don't know I just wanted to kind of break out the whole time of any what I viewed as a mundane situation which included walking across a bridge (laughs) Um, (laughs) so yeah I think I haven't ever really felt that pressure to to conform and I always foolishly or arrogantly believed was a hundred percent sure that I would make a living in some way from writing and performing and that belief never wavered so I felt like I was really lucky to have that and I do remember at school going to careers meetings and them saying what are you going to do and I was like I'm going to be an actress I'm going to be a writer and they because it's a hard industry they were sort of like are you sure and I was just always like I'm a hundred percent sure and then when I was about 12 or 13 a group of girls took me aside and said we think that you can't act and that you can't sing and we think your songs are really bad because at that time I was already performing my own songs and they were like we think it's really embarrassing that you want to do this and it just hurt me that they'd said that but I just felt so sure that I could do it. I'm so envious of that. Really? So envious yeah because I was one of these people who I didn't want, I, I, I had such anxiety in school about being singled out about, you know, even even silly things like when you're on a bus and um, there are big boys in the back playing with a football and that football hits your head and then suddenly everyone's looking at you and you're the person <laughs> that the ball hit. And it's just like, no, I just want to be completely invisible. Yeah. But then it's weird because I did enjoy performing and I did enjoy writing and things like that but for me it was just like no (laughs) I cannot I cannot put myself through that and it was you know three years ago that I suddenly thought god I don't have to do stuff that people expect me to do anymore I you know I don't have to work in business (laughs) you know it's like if I want to perform like I I should be able to do it now. Like I don't, I don't have to worry that people will tell me, "Oh, come on, Asil, you're not really going to do that." You, you know. Yeah. And I have had that. I've, I've seen people who I used to be in school with, who, I, who I'm not friends with, but you know, acquaintances, and they've been shocked by it. <laughs> and it still takes me back to school. Like, oh God, maybe I shouldn't be doing <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. Then you know. So I'm so envious that you were, you were just so sure of what you wanted to do and it didn't really matter like even though it might have an effect on you when people said certain things to you about it it still wouldn't you wouldn't be off that course in any way yeah I was just lucky I think that I always knew it didn't mean it was easy and that I didn't get a lot of criticism but I inside I always felt I've just got to carry on but but I also think that at different points people come into the realization they should be doing certain things so it's like it just maybe wasn't right for you to to do it earlier. It's like, it doesn't matter, mm. especially with stand-up, it really doesn't matter. I think the younger stand-ups don't really have as much to say. Not that you're, but do you know what I mean? When you look at like 23, 24-year-old stand-ups, mm. you sort of think, what have you really experienced of life? Like, you probably mm. might have had your heart broken once, but that's it, you know? Whereas I think 
kind of you've come into it at the right time for you and I you know I was watching the Brits recently. I love the Brits. And again, maybe it's because it takes me back to when the Brits were actually good. But it was, um, I was watching, I can't even remember who she was, but she was like a, you know, 20 year old singer singing about heartbreak and love and stuff. And I just sat there thinking, oh, please, (laughs) you don't know. You don't know what it means. (laughs) I feel like I should be like a goggle box special where people of different ages watch the Brits. And they just yes. sort of check in and see what people are saying. Yes. Because yes. it's like you you have no idea. I mean, so, oh, sorry. A boy from school snogged someone else. Oh, boo He gave your yeah. locket to someone else. <laughs> he bought you forever by Judy Bloom and then didn't give it to you. Yeah. Although, actually, no. If she's twenty, it wouldn't be forever by Judy Bloom now, would it? Was that? Did do you guys remember that was a big deal at school when we no. were? My my. Do you know what? My granddad bought it for me. Really? By yeah, because he didn't oh, know what it was. <laughs> I think because we were in a shop, and I I didn't know what it was either. I was so young at the time, and I remember he asked me, "Do you want to buy?" Like thinking he was helping my education, and I just pointed this one. Out. I thought, well, maybe this. I'd heard of Judy Bloom, and and obviously because she wrote for younger kids yeah. as well. So, oh God, yeah, that book, <laughs> my God, what a revelation! <laughs> Thanks, Tiki. <laughs> So this is the Xenial Dome, where you can place an item which represents or defines the Xenial experience. What would you like to put in the Xenial Dome? I would like to put my favourite sweater shop jumper from the 90s. And I've been informed by Iwan, the producer, that the sweater shop did exist in Wales because I didn't know if it was just something at Meadow Hall Shopping Centre in Sheffield. But for us, it was like Mecca. It was just we we loved it we we used to go there and so excited about going we'd like save up our money we'd we'd buy like one jumper each and because I think it was reasonably expensive like even yeah um, and we used to take really good care of them and I don't know what it was about the sweater shop it was one of those brands a bit like naff naff wasn't it that kind of everyone coveted I was just gonna ask what the what the specific jumper you had in mind it was stripy and it was orange again there seems to be this orange theme <laughs> in my life like orange and brown and maybe black stripes which sounds like a sort of crazy combination of colours but it worked I think they often went for quite vibrant um, combinations of colours that you wouldn't expect but yeah I used to wear it all the time and I had a shell suit as well I had a quandary about whether to put the shell suit into the dome or the sweatshop jumper but I I've left the shell suit for another guest I'm sure it will be chosen <laughs> um and I feel like the sweater shop kind of everyone had a, a shell suit but not everyone had a sweater shop jumper so it was a bit more special to me I definitely associate the sweater shop with um kids who were a bit older than me so when I was in primary yeah. school, it was the kids who were just about to go into comp seemed to wear shell suits and sweater shop. But those, those were the, that, 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 that definitely, I can absolutely picture a time and a place where that was in. And head bags, did everyone have head bags? With the ones that had the zip, that like the end came off, so you could take yes. a bit of your bag away with you? Was that the yes, idea? Yes, it's weird. It was like a detachable element. <laughs> it was completely unnecessary. <laughs> 
like a like a clutch. Yeah. It was almost <laughs> like having a clutch. So, are there any other items of um, clothing that you would be interested to see a resurgence of? Actually, a better question would be: before we get to that, would you like to see a resurgence of the sweater shop? Yes, and I often look it up on eBay, and then there's hardly any sweatshop jumpers on eBay. And weirdly, some of them are from abroad, and I never considered that it could be an international company, oh. but maybe it is. Um, or there's annuals who've just moved abroad and are selling their <laughs> stuff on eBay now. But um, it's it, I'm quite always quite surprised. I look up naf naf as well because I sort of never had a naf naf thing, and I really really wanted one, um, but I can't find that many naf naf things either on eBay. So, yeah, I'd like Naf Naf and Sweater Shop to have a resurgence. Maybe shell suits. I feel like, I don't know, I think they were they were quite cool in a way. I think everyone would have to start wearing them for it to seem normal rather than just... Also, I don't know, what is a shell suit made out of? Because it looks like the sort of thing that David Attenborough would worry would go into the sea and clog up a fish. Like, they, they're sort of yeah, quite plasticky, aren't they? They don't feel like a material yeah. we would use today. I think I think they were lined with cotton, and I don't know what the shell... I reckon the shell is polyester. But... It was so flammable. Yeah. So flammable. Yeah. There was all, always a flammable warning on the... Yeah. You shouldn't stand near a naked flame or something. Yeah. <laughs> and what happened to your to the, the sweater shop jumper that you really loved? I don't know. I'm just thinking about oh. it. I don't know. Um, it might even be in the attic. I'd lo- at my parents. I'd love to go and see... Like, I, I can't imagine having given it away. It might have been passed on to my sister. Um, then my mum gets rid of stuff quite quite ruthlessly, so it might have gone to a charity shop, but not on my watch. <laughs> was there a thing that was... Can you remember the first thing that was almost like yours, that wasn't your parents and wasn't, you know, your siblings, be that either an item of clothing or maybe a music or TV show, but the first thing that you remember going like, yeah, mm. this is mine. I think there was a there was a TV show called Let the Blood Run Free that was an Australian comedy show. So it used to end on a cliffhanger, and then people, as far as I remember it, people could ring in and vote for what they wanted to happen next. So it ended on a cliffhanger, and there were there were two endings were discussed, and there was like two phone numbers, and you could call and um, yeah, and, and let them know what you wanted to happen next. And it was very very camp very very funny really over the top and um it was like about a hospital that where everything was always going wrong and hardly anyone can remember it and I I think it was on on Friday nights but I loved it and that's one of the first comedies that I remember watching my sister and I used to watch Bottom, Beavis and Butthead and Let the Blood Run Free and they were like our three favourite and I was like a, a a woman in it called Nurse Pam Sandwich. A lot of their names were puns. Like, um, yeah, it, it, it was it was fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing I remember really loving. That also none of my friends had ever heard of. Yeah, well, the fact I've never I've never heard of that. But the idea of TV programs that you could phone it. I remember maybe it was on Going Live or Live and Kicking or something. But they used to do a thing where there'd be a little drama. And then there was a phone line and it was like, should he stay with her? Should he leave her? And then there was like different numbers and you could vote (laughs) for whichever scene they filmed twice and they just quickly show you it. And I don't know how much they got from the phone bill, but everyone seems very happy that that was an idea in the 90s. Oh, yeah, I I really like that idea. (laughs) We've got some really 
quick either or questions. And okay. we don't want you to think about these. It's just quick. Okay. Which one would you pick? Smirnoff Ice or Hooch? Hooch. Armageddon or Deep Impact? Not seen either of them, but from what I know about them, Deep Impact. Our Price or HMV? HMV. Looking or Smash Hits? Looking. Going Live or Live and Kicking? Going Live. Touch of Frost or Morse? I've never seen either of them, incredibly. Um, but I'm going to go with Touch of Frost. Uh, Zoe Ball or Sarah Cox? Oh, God, both. <laughs> <laughs> no, choose one. <laughs> well, I've met Sarah Cox and she's lovely, so I'll choose her. But Zoe, I still love you. <laughs> um, George Bush or George W. Bush? Ooh. George Bush. And that is it. Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed in that that you were very happy deciding all the way through, apart from that Zoe Ball question. That really threw me. I know, me. that was the... Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that felt unreasonable on our part, <laughs> <Yes>. suddenly. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us. How can people find out what you're up to next? Um, I normally put it on my Twitter, and that's at Izzy Sutty. And the book is out and available from all reputable booksellers. And it's called Jane is Trying. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thank you. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much to Izzy City for that. A lot of jumper chat. Yeah, that was great. There was a lot of jumper chat. I'll be honest. I'm checking on eBay right now what a sweater shop jumper goes for on eBay. So if you've... Well, it seems that people who have one will stick them online for like between 20 and 30 quid, but I don't know how much they actually go for. This is what okay. they're just listed at. I, n- I never had one back in the day, though, so I'm, I'm not that fussed about it. But I do remember people wearing them, um, usually matched with jeans, quite starched jeans <laughs> with not much give and not much shape to them. <laughs> and black shoes. Yeah, I I think this is where the slight difference in ages comes into play because I associate sweatshop jumpers with being worn by people slightly older than me. Right. And and I think even in my head, they always will be. Sweatshop <laughs> jumpers will always be worn. In the same way that deep down, I truly believe I am still not old enough to watch Biker Grove. You're not. <laughs> no, I, 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 Biker Grove will always be in my head a program for older children. I don't know why that is. It's always I never, I have never reached the age where I think I'm ready for Biker Grove. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's probably true for you. But I don't think you'd sleep again. It's too gritty, Gareth. It's too it's gritty. Far too gritty. Um, but thank you very much to his, to Izzy for coming in. That was really brilliant. And um, yeah, there's now a sweater shop in the Zenial Dome. Oh, I'd love that. I would love if this podcast really took off and that we had to put a dome together. And it obviously wouldn't be as big as the Millennium Dome. It'd be quite small and probably wouldn't be a dome. It would just be like one of those pop-up spaces you can rent. But as long (laughs) as outside the dome there was a smaller dome where you could watch an old episode of Blackadder, then I think we would have the, (laughs) the, uh, the ethos would be complete. Yes. Oh, I'd love it. Oh, well, we we might get there because we are still getting some really good correspondence um, through from... I'm not going to say listeners this week. I'm going to say fans. Um, (laughs) Someone got in touch on Twitter um, in response to Athena's episode. So in um, episode five, Athena Kuglenyu 
talks about um, having a data bank and the data bank is what she wanted to include in the dome. And someone's responded to that on Twitter saying, this 100%, I thought I was a proper businessman in year seven when, with one of these bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> and the data, this is the data bank. She put, I noticed she put two photos up. One was of a spell checker and then there was the data bank. And the data bank was the one that just basically put your names, addresses and phone numbers in, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So that you didn't have yeah. to go to the laborious task of writing them in a diary. They would all be digitally stored. Yeah, so a bit like having a phone that you couldn't ring anyone from. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all the convenience of being on a phone but not being able to go call. Yeah. That is funny though, that thing. I really like that thing of thinking you're like a businessman in year seven because it is funny that kids got them because they were surely not when someone designed that they didn't think this will be a big hit in the playground no it was just technology wasn't it it was just Mm. access to some kind of technology that wasn't too expensive either at the time um and you know we were limited it was limited as to what what tech there was out there thinking about that though there was a watch that could store names and phone numbers the same technology mm. shrunk down to the size of a watch, like in James Bond. But I I can imagine a businessman getting their data bank and sitting there and clicking through. But I can't imagine a businessman in a meeting with their watch clicking through to find <laughs> Japan's phone number. Um, that's, that does like feel like something that a kid had invented and gone, oh, why can't we put it on a watch? Yeah. But again, it's like it's like the iPhone and the i iWatch, but they're not connected to anything. <laughs> no. Did you have friends in school who had um, a watch that could change the channels on a TV? <gasps> no. They were chaos. They were real. <laughs> any any kid who had one of them was deep down a real agent of chaos, <laughs> because I remember that being a thing. It didn't happen in my class, but I remember hearing what happening in another class where every time the teacher tried to start the video for whatever lesson where there was a video. So you already had the excitement of there being a video in the lesson. Yeah. Uh, and then some kid was just flicking the channel just before it started every single time because they could control the channel with their watch. That's so funny. Why make that product and give it to a kid? Like, that can know. only be used in a... No kids going brilliant and watch I can change the channel with. This will I'll I'll help the teacher change to the correct channel. Yeah. Yeah. That can only be used for bad purposes. It's like the atomic bomb. <laughs> oh yeah, completely. I immediately thought uh, I'm sure some someone managed to scramble an airline or an airplane or air traffic control with one of those with watches. a watch, yeah. With a watch that changes channel. Yeah, suddenly we're all landing in Sofia and Bulgaria. <laughs> Um, yeah, though that's that. I really like that that thought of that technology being in the hands of kids <laughs> for no reason at all. That's that's great. I really enjoy that yeah. that idea. Talking of pointless technology, I wanted to talk about our MySpace page Please. because this podcast has a website, and that website is a MySpace page. MySpace dot com forward slash the Zenial Dome. Now, you can put songs on your MySpace page, and we put that question out. And Stuart got in touch and said, why don't you put Torn by Natalie Imbruglia on there? 
and I, at some point this week, went to check the MySpace page. The thing, and I noticed you've successfully managed to update a song on MySpace. Yeah. But what I love about it is you have managed to, they don't have the proper Natalie Brillier version to that. No, it's a cover version. It's a cover, <laughs> what's gone wrong there? God, how the mighty have fallen. MySpace can't even get the proper version of Natalie Brillier's torn. No. It, and, and a lot of the songs, they, I, I was going through the list of torn versions and some of them are sung in the style of Natalie Imbruglia. Others uh, covers, you know, like interpreted in a different way. It's, it's, it's just chaos on there. Absolute chaos. <laughs> Do you remember when you were a kid, now and again, oh, I certainly had this, there would now and again be compilation albums that would normally be from the generation older. I remember my dad had these compilation albums, and you'd put them on, but they weren't the proper records. Yeah, you could usually buy them at Little Chef. Yeah, that's exactly it. They, they, they were albums that I'd love to know the sort of legal ramifications and how much money you made from making an album of 20 songs that sort of were a bit like what you'd heard on the radio. <laughs> and I thought that had sailed into the past. Mm. But apparently MySpace are trying to bring it back. They've decided that's the gap in the market that Spotify have left hanging. So let's talk maybe about next week's episode. Next week on the podcast, it is Sean Reese williams uh, the actor you will know from... Emmerdale, from Hidden, from Line of Duty. She's on the podcast and we've already recorded it. And it's really oh, great. of course it's great. All the episodes are great. But yeah, it's a, yeah, but it's a really, bit, really good one. And because she's she's been in Emmerdale, I'm looking forward to everyone listening to a lot of soap chat. I, I was genuinely afraid going into it that as someone who didn't watch Neighbours as a kid, this was going to end up being a closed book. But I enjoyed <laughs> it. It was fun. And there was enough chat about um, Joe from EastEnders to keep me involved. (laughs) If you watched any soap uh, or no soaps from the 90s, you'll love it. Um, Yeah, Sean Rees-Williams. It's really good fun. And that's next week's show. So um, we shall see you then. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch, drop us an email, thezennialdome at hotmail.com. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.